Welcome to week three of our cardiac arrest series, where we've been taking some time to understand what captures our heart. It's a four-week journey, and so far, we've seen a few things. One is that our heart was not created to lead, but to follow. Our heart wasn't created to lead, but to follow. It was created to follow the one who created it, the Lord God Almighty. And until it's there, until it's in alignment to follow him, there's a restlessness, an uneasiness, a dissatisfaction, and an empty spot that can only be filled by him. And we also know that Jesus said that our heart will always be where our treasure is. And our treasure is that stuff that, that we protect, that we prioritize, the stuff we pursue. And this isn't a conversation about not having stuff. It's a conversation about our stuff not having us. Because until we align our things, our, our stuff we value, that stuff we prioritize, relationships, the things we protect, the things we pursue, our heart won't be aligned to the heart of God. Because our heart will always be where our treasure is. But once we say, Lord, there's my stuff, you can have everything I have, all that I possess, everything that I prioritize, all that I am to all of you, then our heart comes into alignment to his heart. And we realize that when we surrender everything we have to him, that God's able to bless it and use it for his glory. It's a pretty cool thing. Now, so far in our journey, we've talked most specifically and most often about our stuff in our heart, and we really needed to do that. We needed to understand the relationship and the dynamic between the two, because the condition, the location, the direction of our heart is, is determined by the relationship it has with our stuff, the things we value. But if we're truly going to experience heart transformation, we need, actually need to know the heart of God. We need to come alongside the heart of God. And so I want to spend some time this weekend talking about one of the attributes of the heart of God. In fact, if we were to step back and look at the whole of Scripture and all that he reveals of himself in Scripture, we would see the reality that God's love leads him to give. It's God's love leads him to give. In fact, because he loves, he gives. One of the most... Um, specific and clear and well-known examples of this would be John 3.16. It's a passage that, that many people are familiar with. You guys might be able to recite it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We may know that passage, but we may not realize we get to see a glimpse of the heart of God in it. What's he say? For God so what? Loved. The reality is that God loved. God so loved the world that he that he gave. Because God loves, he gives. That's the reality of the heart of God. His love compels him to give. And if our love doesn't lead us to give, our heart is not in alignment to his. At least not in full alignment to his. If our loving doesn't lead to giving, there's a misalignment issue. Because the heart of God is to give. God loves and therefore he gives. 
If we don't understand that dynamic and those realities, then we can, under, we can like, I've got a problem in my life, identify a solution, but it's the wrong solution because I identified the wrong problem. Having the right problem identified allows us to understand the right solution to address the right problem. And we need to know the difference between what's happening in our heart and life and his heart. But this reality of problems and solutions doesn't just happen in the spiritual world or, or in the world of issues of the heart. It actually happens in other places. And I found a list of problems and solutions from the airlines industry. There's actually an airline company called Qantas that has their pilots fill out what's called a gripe sheet. Whenever they land an aircraft, they document what problems and things they observed as they operated that aircraft. That document is given to the maintenance engineers who in turn perform a solution and then document the solution and return the paperwork to close the loop. So I have some of those actual reported problems and solutions that I thought you might appreciate hearing this morning. Here we go. Here's the first one. Problem. Left inside main tire almost needs replacement. Solution. Almost replaced left inside main tire. Another one, test flight okay, except auto land very rough. Solution, auto land not installed on this aircraft. <laughs> Problem, dead bugs on windshield. Solution, live bugs on back order. <laughs> Problem, evidence of leak on right main landing gear. Solution, evidence removed. <laughs> Problem, DME volume unbelievably loud. Solution, DME volume set to more believable level. <laughs> Problem, suspected crack in windshield. Solution, suspect you're right. <laughs> Keep in mind, these are actual reported problems and solutions, and Qantas has one of the highest rated safety, uh, safety ratings. Okay, here we go. Target radar hums. Solution, reprogrammed target radar with lyrics. <laughs> Problem, mouse in cockpit. Solution, cat installed. Problem, aircraft handles funny. This is good. Solution, aircraft warned to straighten up, fly right, and be serious. <laughs> and the last one, best one for last. Noise coming from under instrument panel sounds like a person pounding on something with a hammer. Solution, took hammer away from person under instrument panel. <laughs> Look, it's important to understand the right problems so we get to the right solution. And when it comes to issues of the heart, if we really want to see our heart transformed, we need to understand God's heart to give. In fact, if you're using your sermon notes guide, your first fill-in today is to give is to reflect the heart of God. To give is to reflect the heart of God. Giving is a godly attribute. For us to be a people who give is the most basic and clear way we can reflect the heart of our Lord. He models it, and he wants us in our life and our relationships to, to reflect his character. And not giving is an indication that our heart is not aligned to his. Because to give reflects the heart of God. So let's get right into scripture today. And turn with me to Luke chapter 9. If you've got a Bible or a device, you can get there with me. I'm going to have it up on the screen or you can read it in your sermon notes guide. But Luke chapter 9, we're going to be picking up in what is often referred to as the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And it's, it's the only miracle besides the resurrection that's recorded in all four Gospels. And I don't want to read too much into that, nor do I want to just simply blow by it. It's recorded in all four. But what's interesting to me is that um, it, it seems like it wasn't a big deal. It, it's almost like it, it wasn't the most interesting. It wasn't the most dramatic. It, even, it wasn't even the most impactful miracle. And it all goes down kind of somewhat inconsequential. But... 
It is one of the most layered and informative moments in Scripture. And I want to take a look at it. In fact, let me set up the scenario for you. Jesus and his disciples had been in an extended period of ministry. In this particular day, Jesus had gathered with a crowd of people, and he had been teaching for a long period of time. It was getting late in the day, and the disciples realized they didn't have food to care for the people, and they wanted to encourage Jesus to wrap up his teaching and send the people away to find lodging and food and, and to take care of it for the night. So they approached Jesus with that, but instead of Jesus saying, okay, we're done, close it out, he actually says, you feed them. And I think they were a bit surprised by that, and I want to look at the further dialogue. Check this out. This is Luke 9, starting with uh, verse 13. But Jesus said, you feed them. But we have only five loaves and of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there were about 5,000 men there. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up toward heaven and, he, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, this is a great moment captured for us in all four Gospels with different nuances to it. But let me just talk about some of the nuances that make it such a, a layered and, and impactful story for us today. See, the reality is that the Jews in that time, in that culture, when they counted a crowd, they didn't count men, women, and children. They simply counted the men. So in some way, 5,000 men actually represents 5,000 family groups. We, we know this is true because in Matthew 14, where Matthew accounts uh, what happened here, he says there were 5,000 men not counting or including women and children. So we're really talking about a crowd much larger than 5,000. Some say 15 to 20,000. Others say it could have been 20 to 25,000. Almost every theologian says this was the largest crowd that Jesus ever spoke to at one time. So like 20,000 people. That's a lot of people. I don't know if you can visualize that. Let me, let me show you this. This container is holding 20,000 BBs. That's a lot of BBs. It's also a lot of mouths. Yet Jesus took five loaves and two fish a first century Jewish happy meal, and he fed 20,000-ish, not just enough, but until they were full. What's most relevant for us about that, it was significant, but what's most relevant for today is how he did it. Because it speaks to issues of our heart, our stuff, and the heart of God. We can actually look at this scenario from a couple of different angles. One is to simply say, okay, this is the story of the Son of God who is able to do the miraculous with very little. The power of God at work in this world for us. That's, we could spend the whole day just talking about that reality. We could also look at this from the perspective of the little boy who had very little but was willing to offer it all so it could be used for others. So those five loaves of bread and, and the fish, the two fish involved, Jesus takes those, he blesses them, and multiplies them. And the reality is, that is the principle of multiplication. That what we give and surrender, the Lord is able to bless and multiply. We could spend days talking about that reality. We could also look at this from the perspective of the disciples. You had, you had Philip, who was from the area, local Bethsaida, but didn't have a solution and apparently didn't know where the local McDonald's was. 
when Jesus said, how about where can we get food enough for them? We could also understand that it was Andrew who said, well, hey, here's a boy with a meal. But how far can so little go? Was his perspective. We could look at all the disciples and say, hey, these are guys who maybe or maybe they did not have eyes to see a need. But did they even really have eyes of faith to see the solution or eyes of faith to facilitate the solution? The disciples had the need for food, probably were hungry. But in the end, what Jesus did is he, he asked them to serve others. He asked them to give probably what they wanted to have themselves. And when they did, when they demonstrated obedience, when they did all that, in the end, they gathered 12 baskets. 12 baskets, 12 disciples. Coincidence? I think not. Example of perfect provision for a people who willingly obey and give and serve as directed by their Lord? Absolutely. Now, any one of those scenarios would be great. It would be good examples of, of what we could spend our time looking at in this scripture. But what I think is most interesting and what I'm most interested in doing today is understanding that we get to see a glimpse of the heart of God through this story. Uh, the heart of a God who loves and therefore gives. A heart who, of a God who wants to care, who wants to provide, who wants to bless, who wants to multiply, and wants to do all of that through us. That's the heart of God. See, our God wants to do the miraculous through us. And for us. Our God wants to do the miraculous through us and for us. One of the most significant aspects of this circumstance is that the miracle didn't just happen in Jesus' hands, but through the disciples' hands as they obeyed, as they gave. Now let's just, let's take this one step, one layer deeper, if you would, with me. The disciples likely expected Jesus to do something pretty cool to multiply and take care of this problem. But I don't know that they fully expected he wanted to do it through them as well. But that's what he did. He didn't just do it himself. He did it through his disciples. Jesus wanted to do the miraculous through them as they gave it away. In another translation, verse 16 reads this way. Then he gave them to the disciples, those fish and loaves, to distribute to the people. It's almost a, a moment of, I have blessed it, now go give it away. And as they do, as they gave, the full beauty of this multiplication moment occurs, and they receive perfect provision in the end for themselves. And in a way, Jesus says, look, this is what happens when you give what is blessed away. Because God wants to do the miraculous through us and for us. There are actually two principles here that I want to just draw your attention to. These are principles that we talked through when I met with Robert Morris in February with those pastors. And this is uh, principles related to this multiplication concept. And he said this. He said, it has to be blessed before it can multiply. It's principle one. It has to be blessed before it can be multiplied. What would have happened, if you could just imagine with me, what would have happened if the disciples had taken the little boy's lunch and, and, and started to distribute it to the people before Jesus took it and blessed it? Shortest buffet ever, right? Wouldn't have been a miracle of multiplication. 
Because the blessing of Jesus gives the potential for something to multiply. It has to be blessed before it can multiply. But it also needs the second component, and that is it has to be given away before it can be multiplied. It has to be given away. What if the disciples had taken the fish and loaves back from Jesus and sat down and just started to eat it? We would not have seen the multiplication miracle as it went down. Jesus may have figured out some other way to take care of the people, but what he wanted to do was bless the people by blessing and multiplying what was given through his disciples. And you got to understand, these guys were hungry. They were tired. They wanted probably to eat. And what Jesus was asking them to do was to give away what they wanted and in a way what they needed. But he was able to bless what was there as it was given away. What is blessed has to be given away before it can be multiplied. Last week, we spent a little bit of time talking about the reality that a tithe is something we return. It's not something we give. We return it because it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. And and returning the tithe, uh, the reality is that God doesn't just ask us to return a tithe. He asks us to be generous. And returning the tithe does not meet that standard of generosity. He calls us to generosity. To return something that isn't ours isn't generous. To give above and beyond, that's generosity. And it's in that reality, when we give like that, that we reflect the heart of God, when we give above and beyond. And we're not just talking about money, we're talking about any resource that God has entrusted to us, including a lunch. Because when we give that stuff away, that's when the Lord is most clearly able to demonstrate his ability and willingness to bless and multiply. When we give, but we don't have to. When we give the tithe, that the tithe provides a blessing, but giving above and beyond leads to multiplication. That's the reality of how God works in and through his people and how he desires to do the miraculous in and through us. And I know that there are times in life when God says, do this, do something. And we may be tempted in those moments to say, what can we do? John tells us that Andrew specifically said, related to the loaves and fish about the boy, he said, how far will they go among so many? Listen, we serve a God of multiplication. You may recall not long ago, we spent some time as a church talking about the principle of harvest. This is a principle that that God established the world on. And you may recall that the steps of that journey include first to buy, then plow, plant, water, weed, and then only then we see or experience the harvest God wants to bring. This is a principle that the Lord established the world on. When we don't follow it, we miss out. We have to invest in the whole process to see God bring the harvest he desires to see. Harvest is a form of multiplication. We don't get to live in constant, ongoing, perpetual harvest without investing in the rest of the process. And what God wants to do through us as we buy and plow and plant and water and weed is to bring a harvest of multiplication like no other beyond what we could ever ask or imagine for his purpose and his glory. If we would simply give as he has given to us. God wants to do the miraculous in and through us. I want to look at another passage of scripture. This is actually a letter written to the church in Corinth by Paul. Here's what he said, 2 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, 
not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. How we handle the daily moments of our life determines what he can multiply. God wants to generously and abundantly bless through us and through our good work. The people that day didn't just get a morsel of food. They ate until they were full. He wants to bless abundantly. And generous planting leads to generous harvest because, listen, because when we surrender to God's design, he blesses whatever we have and he multiplies it. When we surrender to God's design, he blesses what we have and he multiplies it. Look at the next couple of verses in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Generous on every occasion. Generous on every what? Occasion. Not just once in a while. Our God wants to work consistently through us in a way that he can bring glory to himself. Now this is ultimately an issue of trust. It's an issue of do we trust God enough to do what he says? And it reminds me of a story. A story of a guy who was out for a hike one day, got too close to the edge of a cliff, and slipped and fell. But before he fell all the way to his death, he grabbed a hold of a branch. and He was hanging on for dear life panicked, fearful, and he yelled up to the top of the cliff, is there anybody up there? And he heard a voice. The voice said this, I am here. I am the Lord. Do you trust me? The guy was a bit surprised to hear a voice, but not only a voice, but to hear the Lord's voice. And he said this, yes, Lord, I trust you. I really do, but I can't hang on much longer. The Lord responded, if you really trust me, you will be all right. I will save you. Just let go of the branch. The man paused for a moment, and then he yelled, Is there anybody else up there? <laughs> to give reflects the heart of God. And we demonstrate trust when we follow his design and we give. When we let go of our stuff, of the things that we hold to for security, and we say, God, they're yours. I trust you. When we do that, he's able to bless and multiply. I praise God for the ability to look at another year of his faithfulness to us as a church. We um, have very clear evidence of God's divine provision among our body. Our church year wraps up in April. So our, our church year runs from May through April. And so we're now in a new church year and we're doing some annual reports and some uh, reconciliation reports and data. And I just want to share a few snapshots of some of the details of the past year. As a church family, we had an average attendance in our worship gatherings across all of our campus of just, campuses of just under 3,000 people. That's beautiful. That's a scope of impact and a scope of reach. We also had 70 people participate in 10 different national and international mission trips. That's taking the good news and love of Jesus around the world. We also had more than $17,000 in a special offering at Christmas. We had 300 food boxes that were sent out in the community to meet the needs of people and more than 1,600 Operation Christmas Child boxes. That stuff is good data, good to celebrate those things. But listen, here's the really good part. We had 247 people step from death to life through relationship with Jesus Christ and salvation experiences. Yeah. 
247. We also had 236 baptisms and 65 child dedications. These are all, yep. These are all examples of God working and moving among us. The, the impact of, and life change in this past year is significant and, and, and it's extensive. But I realize we're not done. There is more. And as part of our formal process at the end of the year, as we wrap up and step into a new year, we have some formal actions, a voting thing today. We also have the reality of a budget for the coming year. And that budget for this next year is $3.9 million. And I want to tell you that that budget is a conservative budget. We have, we have budgeted conservatively. It is below what it will take to do what God is asking us to do. In fact, if you could just think about it this way with me. If you could... Um, just visualize that, that each of these BBs represents 10 people, okay? There are f- roughly 400,000 people in the Quad Cities. So with 20,000 BBs here, each representing 10 people, this could represent 200,000 people. 200,000 people, let's say, uh, of the, the group of the Quad Cities who say that they are connected to or affiliated to a religious organization. It doesn't necessarily mean they're Christian, but statistically there's 200,000 people who say they are connected to some religious organization. So let's just say these people actually do know Jesus. That means that there are still 200,000 people in the Quad Cities who do not yet know Jesus. Conservatively, 200,000 people. So, So that looks something like this. Two hundred thousand people who do not have new life in Jesus Christ, and two hundred thousand people who need to be discipled and grow in their walk with Him. Three thousand people gather on any average given weekend at Heritage Church. How far can so few go? What we need is a miracle of multiplication. We need the power of God at work through his people in a way where we give and he can bless and he can multiply. And we can see 200,000 people discipled to the point that they are disciples who make disciples and 200,000 people who do not yet know Jesus step into relationship with him and step into that journey as well. Through the power of God at work and a people who are willing to give as he gives. On your way out, you can grab a copy of that budget. I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to pray. I encourage you to pray that God, Jehovah Jireh, would would multiply and bless. I know that that budget is conservative. It is not enough to accomplish what God is asking us to do. Even just, it's a starting point for us, but it's not even a, a it's not even a good starting point to really lean into that. I know it's not, but what I do know is when we surrender to His design, He is able to bless and multiply. He's able to use what his people give for his glory as it leaves our hands. And I'm waiting to see that happen. I'm expectantly waiting to see that happen. The reality is that the single most effective means to make sure that our stuff doesn't have us (laughs) is to return what is his and then to give out of what is left. That's when we know for sure we are not living in a place where our stuff has us 
And it's also the place that God is able to bless and multiply. When we give out of what we have for his honor and for his glory so that he can use it. That's one reason why Jesus said it is more blessed to give than receive. It's inverted thinking, but it makes complete sense when you understand how the Lord works. So what? Well, I think the challenge for all of us, for all of us, is to give everything God asks you to give. Give everything he asks you to give. If we can live as a people like that, then he can start to work and move. When we surrender to his design, he's able to multiply it and do the miraculous. That's a fact. But that's known. What isn't known is what we will do. Will we give what he has given? Let me, let me ask it this way. It's a question for all of us. What has he given you to give? What has he given you to give? Until you do, he cannot multiply it. Until you do, he can't say, watch what happens when you do it my way. If your finances are not in order, you got to get them in order. If you're not returning the tithe, return the tithe. If you're not giving so that he can bless and multiply for his glory, you got to start to lean into that. And listen, if you are spiritually unresolved here today, you don't have a relationship with God, you haven't reconciled what you're going to do with this Jesus guy, then he wants, he wants your life today so he can multiply it. He wants you to give your life so he can give you new life, and not just any life, but life to the full. Life with purpose, life with hope. Life where he works, the, works good things out of all the garbage of the past. If you would just simply surrender to his love, that's the opportunity for you today. If you're someone who has already been found by his love, you already have relationship with his son Jesus, then he wants to do the miraculous through you if you will surrender to his design, you will let him multiply what you have and do the miraculous. I want to read to you one other section of scripture. And, and these are red letter words in my Bible. They're the words of Jesus. And, they're, and Jesus said them about three chapters ahead of where he fed the 5,000 plus, the 20,000. It's in Luke chapter 6. And this is what Jesus said. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Listen, I am in no way talking about any kind of shape, form, or, or concept related to prosperity gospel. Where this is all about we get, we get, we get. I am doing the opposite. I'm saying our Lord who loves and gives says we need to give. And when we give, he takes care of the rest. And Jesus said, if you give, it will be given to you and be poured into your lap. Because he loves, he gives. And when those who give out, those who give sacrifice for his purpose, he has perfect provision for them. Always. Because he's able to bless and multiply out of that generosity. In a moment, I, I want to invite you to listen and watch and perhaps even sing along with something. But before I do that, I, I, I want to I do something else. I actually want to dare you to do something. And I'm not doing it flippantly, and I'm not doing it arrogantly. I really want to invite you to consider something. If, if God has been stirring your heart in this series so far, and he's been pulling you to, to just a greater level of understanding what it means to love and give as a result of the fact that he loves and gives, I want to 
I want to encourage you to take a step towards getting your heart and your stuff and all in better alignment to him by by watching the full presentation of one of the gatherings I had with Robert Morris. I was in those settings. I told you about that last week in February. And, and in the one gathering, he unpacks the principle of multiplication a little bit further. And if, if you find God calling you and stirring you to more, if you feel him pushing you and, and you have enough courage to step and say, God, I really want to know your full heart as it relates to what it means to give and what it means to be generous, then I want to encourage you at some point, another time, to go to livesent.today. Use the QR code in the sermon notes guide to get there or go through the website. It's my blog, and on my blog I posted that video. It's about 30 minutes. I encourage you to watch it if you want to. You don't have to. But if God's saying, I have more for you, I encourage you to go there and listen to what Robert says and how he unpacks it. Because it has the potential to position you to let God do the miraculous in and through you. And also to do the miraculous for you. But for now, I want to invite you to listen to watch, and perhaps, as I said, even sing along with uh, this next piece of our time together. And then when it's done, your campus leaders will come and close out our time together and lead us back into worship. But for now, check this out. Got him. 
I'm not afraid.